Welcome to episode 10 of Nine on Hockey. All right, Ern, here we are for episode 10 of Nine on Hockey. Another episode, Bob. Looking forward to this one. Uh, we got a special guest coming on today and uh, looking to hear his input. No, I'm excited about that. We'll have uh, Craig Custis of uh, The Atlantic and his book uh, on the NHL coaches. So we're excited about that. But all of a sudden, the NHL season's almost three weeks old and uh, some surprises, some teams reverting back to the mean a little bit. But how about the uh, Golden Knights of Las Vegas and the start they're off to? You just you stole my words. I was going to say, what a start. I enjoy uh, looking at the schedule. I always enjoy watching the Red Wings and well, watching hockey, the Leafs. But always looking when the, the Golden Knights are playing because they start off 9-1 and one right now. And they're the hot topic of the NHL, especially what, what's going on with their goaltending situation. And they just continue to win. So uh, it's exciting to watch. And uh, you know, I find myself cheering for them every time I watch them. No, it's always fun with the expansion teams and how well they've done. But I was thinking about that today. I wonder if George McPhee, looking out, um, you know, when he did the the trades that that, that were uh, you know able to accomplish during the off season, I think there was an expectation of getting into the lottery uh, for the, the 2018 draft. And here you are, ten games in or eleven games in, and they're uh, uh, you know they're nowhere near a lottery team at this point. No, they're they're playing unbelievable, and you know a lot of people think or you know. Wondering how this is happening. Is it uh, the Vegas luck? Or they've played a lot of home games. And, uh, you know, you think of Las Vegas, you think a team's coming in there. Is their focus really on hockey? But uh, you have to think it is. They're NHL players. But Las Vegas has just uh, started off on a tear, uh, especially, like I said before, losing their top two goaltenders and throw another one in there. And he's the second star of the week in the NHL. So they're doing something right there. And it's just exciting and fun to watch. Well, they will face the number one star of the league uh, this week, and that's starting tonight with uh, they head east to they'll play in Brooklyn tonight to play the New York Islanders, who are off to a pretty good start. And the number one star of the week, John Tavares, two hat tricks uh, this week, and uh, all of a sudden the Islanders have won four of the last five and five of their last seven. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, like last week in the episode nine, we talked about you asked me about Johnny T and uh, his little slow start. If we had any worry, and and I didn't have any worry for him, and he showed it back to back. Some hat tricks there, and and he's just tearing it up. You you said it before, the number one star of the week, and you knew he was going to catch fire and and, and pace the Islanders. So let's see if this uh, trend can continue for him because uh, he's a top player in the NHL, and uh, the Islanders are on a roll right now. Well, one of the things I think you've seen with the Islanders, it has gone just beyond John Tavares. Um, You know, the the, the forward group has really contributed. You saw finally Jordan Everly got on the board with a couple of goals in Nashville the other night, but he was still putting up points. Josh Bailey's been putting up points. He's got 11 points already. Um, you know, you look at Anders Lee has six goals. You, you look at the opportunity that the, they've gotten all throughout the, uh, you know, uh, Brock Nelson is a good friend, uh, yeah. has not found a way to, you know, has already had six goals in the net. And, um, you know, overall, the Islanders look they look pretty solid at the forward position. I think if they can remain healthy and they finally put Ryan Pollock in and that power play, that was the one thing with the Islanders uh, through the first 10 games, they'd only scored two power play goals for, and they'd given up five shorties again. So at that point, you almost want to just decline the penalty and take the yardage or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, 
Sometimes it's like that. But you're, you're getting, you see in the secondhand scoring right now from the Islanders, and I think you're not relying all on John Tavares. Um, and, and you talk, we talked about it earlier about uh, you see Brock getting in there, getting nasty, getting a little mean with PK Subban, and mm-hmm. um, you know they're coming together. Those are the things that uh, teams look for as a, as a um, a bonding situation and, and, and coming together and you start throwing together wins and it's fun to come to the arena. When it's fun to come to the rink, you're going to get more wins and, and you see that right now for the Islanders. And, you know, every team needs the contribution of young players and the Islanders have certainly got that. We mentioned Ryan Pollock with, he had a power play goal and an assist the other night, but, you know, Anthony Beauvillier has contributed and boy, Matt Barzal looks like he is an impact player already and seems game in game out that was my pick for the calder and yeah. uh, maybe after a little bit uh, snake bitten in the first couple of games but he's putting the puck in the net and uh, he, he just seems to be a factor every time he's on the ice well it's that speed of his it's is the main factor and i think when he gets more comfortable playing more games you're going to see him start to put up more points and, and that confidence level uh of him out on the ice is just going to show and it's going to produce points and more wins for the islanders no, I think that's, uh, you know, it's been interesting. And you see, you know, we mentioned the Knights getting off to a good start, but the New Jersey Devils, and I know you worked with uh, Blake Coleman in the off season, and you know, he contributed the other night, but it seems like the Devils are a team that uh, uh, people might not have predicted to make the next step this quickly, but they seem to be for real. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I talked to Blake and text him back and forth. And what, what the main thing is, that I think that they're, they're having fun. I know I talked about the Islanders, everybody coming together, having fun. But when you have fun, and uh, it makes makes coming to the rink a lot easier, and, and everything starts to click. You start getting those bounces, and and they're working hard right now. They got a young team, a lot of American boys on that team. That's why I like the uh, the Devils. But uh, you know they're they're getting wins right now. We thought that um, Arizona was going to get their first win of the season against them the other night, and they found a way to get a win, and and that's what they're doing right now. So they're playing well, and they're going to continue to hopefully uh, keep that path and getting wins. Uh, you talk about having fun at the rink, but I don't think it's too much fun in Gotham for the New York Rangers. Oh, my goodness, no, it's not. It's not fun. Uh, it's not fun losing. It's uh, the worst thing is you know you watch as a as a player you hate watching video. Um, I know, especially when you lose because when things aren't going right, the coaches find every little thing that uh, that could go wrong on the ice. And they nitpick, and I'm sure that uh, the guys aren't, aren't fun doing video because I'm sure everybody's squeezing the stick right now and uh and the coaches are pressing the panic button so everything is uh is extreme so it's definitely not fun for the rangers but like we always said it's a long season it's not a uh, sprint it's a marathon so it's kind of having to keep that even keel and even whether if you're winning or 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 you're losing you got to keep that even keel and 82 games it's a long season do you think elaine vigno's job is on the uh I think you know, so. Yeah, you think he I, might I be think, one of the first ones. I think go? so. I mean, he's playing. You're coaching the New York Rangers, and and uh, it's not like you're you're starting off coaching Vegas or, or or some or some team that's not in a big market. You're in the big city. You're, you're coaching the Rangers, um, so you get off to a slow start like they have, and they're not getting wins, and they're they're finding ways to lose hockey games. Uh, you know, you got to think he's on the hot seat. Uh, they've relied so much, you know, heavily on Henrik Lundqvist for the last you know, decade plus. And, um, you know, Henrik's gotten a little older and the team in front of him, maybe not as strong down the middle as it's been in the past. So, um, you know, I, I, I still thought they were going to make the playoffs early on, but there were a lot of people that felt that they were the team that, uh, might regress quite a bit. And, and so far through the first 10 games of the season. And the other thing is the Rangers have had a disproportionate amount of games at home. Yeah. So now that they, you know, they're going to have to find a way to dig themselves out of it with playing, you know, over the next 70 plus games, uh, you know, a, a majority of the games on the road. 
yeah, and another talking about the Rangers, but another team that uh, you wouldn't have thought had to struggle was the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they're not finding. They actually got a win the other night against the Rangers, but they're they're struggling as well. They're trying to find people to put the puck in the net, and score for them. And us at the beginning of the season would have never thought the Rangers or the Canadians would have started off like they have. So uh, tough little situation for both teams right now, trying to find a way to get some wins. Look, I I know Canada's you know, hockey's Canada's sport, but. What are the Canadian fans thinking, you know, jeering, uh, you know, Carey Price the way they were they were doing the other night? Like that didn't work out well 20 years ago when they did that to Patrick Waugh. So why would you think that this would be a good situation? I mean, all that Carey Price has done for them. And I know it's a what have you done for me lately business, but you got to question the loyalty of the fans in Montreal just a little bit. No offense to our listeners north of the border, but uh, I believe me, I think any one of us being a Red Wing fan and an Islander fan right now would love to have Carey Price in our net. So yeah, for sure. And you you have to think too, that everybody's giving it to him. He just signed that big contract in the off season, but he's your uh, franchise player. He's your goalie. Yes, there's going to be ups. There's going to be downs, but uh, that's just hockey. And that's just hockey fans. They want wins and uh, they want something to yell at. Whether it's winning or losing, they're going to find a way to get on you. And uh, hopefully Montreal figures out a way and Carey Price, because he's one of the top goaltenders in the league, they can get on track here and start getting some wins. No, absolutely. Well, your Red Wings got off to a good start, but all of a sudden now it's uh, kind of changed, you know, after, uh, you know, three, six and one in their last 10. And I know they got to win the other night, but um, I know you thought that this was going to be a little bit of a tough season in Detroit. But, um, you know, what are you, what are you seeing from the Red Wings? Well, they like you said, they had a good start. But uh, lately, they haven't uh, done well. It just seems like they're just finding ways to lose games. And, um, you know, they've scored a couple big goals. And some of the games that they've lost have been close, close games. But uh, just not finding a way, getting some bad bounces. And, you know, Jimmy Howard started off a little slow, uh, got yanked. And um, But he's played the last couple games. He's played really well. And the Red Wings just haven't found a way to, to get some wins um, for him, they they won a big one in a shootout the other night, but uh, they got to find a way to get some more wins, and uh, hopefully that, that that slide doesn't continue for them. Yeah, you know, continuing out west as you start moving further, the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, we talk about them, you know, quite a bit, and uh, you know, we've got a, a few listeners who uh, you know like to follow them. But what a, what a tough weekend! You you turn around and you you lose to Nashville on Friday night in a tough game, and then you go out west to Colorado where you think you'd pick up the two points, and all of a sudden. You know, the Blackhawks, after what looked like a pretty good start, it seems like they've uh, fallen on hard times. Yeah, they started off uh, sod back in the lineup for Chicago. The line's rolling. You're thinking, well, Chicago looks like a cup contender of the way they started. They beat the Penguins, I don't know, was it 10-1 to 1 or mm-hmm. something like that in the first game? And uh, they were just scoring at will. And then all of a sudden, little uh, little hard times for the Blackhawks. Uh, but they have a really good hockey team. They got Crawford in net, and I, I don't think that uh, they're going to be one of those teams that continues to struggle. I think they're going to be okay. I know we all look at the standings right now. Everybody should up and down. Personally, I look at the standings just to see where Vegas is at, and they're still not atop of the uh, other division, even though being 9-1 and one right now, they got a game in hand. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings are just on fire. They had a big win the other night against the uh, Boston Bruins off the faceoff with .9 seconds left in overtime, and there's no way you thought – that was the perfect play. Wins a draw, clean as can be, and with .02 seconds or whatever, the puck goes in the net. So it's going right for the L.A. Kings right now. And, uh, you know, after missing the playoffs, and uh, they have a new coach now, and, and listen to NHL Network and listening to a lot of the interviews, and I know I've said it two times already about having fun coming to the rink. Uh, you, you listen to all the interviews about the Kings, Kopitar and Brown. They're having a good time. They're having fun coming to the rink, and that's propelled them to their great start right now. 
No, that's uh, it's amazing. I think it's usually a play you try in uh, men's league quite a yeah, bit now yeah, at this yeah. point. That's but a, it's uh, that's a tough play. You know, it, it's interesting. I think throughout the early part of the season, most people, uh, the experts, kind of predicted that uh, the Stanley Cup would be between Toronto and Edmonton, and Toronto's cooled off a little bit. But would you think that the Edmonton Oilers would be uh, second from the bottom if it wasn't no. for Arizona not winning a game? Um, you know, that's the only team below the Edmonton Oilers right now. So Connor McDavid, come get the Stanley Cup, might be on hold a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's a that's one of those shockers about like Vegas being starting off nine one, and that's the other shocker, the Edmonton Oilers uh, down in the cellar, right in front of the Arizona Coyotes uh, right now. You know, you, McDavid last year was getting two, three, four points a game, and uh, you, you look now, he's still getting his points, but he's not getting them like he was last year to start the to start the season. So you have to think that the Oilers are gonna. Uh, get back and, and Drysaddle was out of the lineup for a little while there, so now he's back in the lineup playing with McDavid and uh, Patty Maroon on that top line. So you have to think that there's going to be more goals scored and there's going to be some more wins for the Oilers. Yeah, I mean it's just one of those surprises that you've seen. You continue and, and look, we've talked about some of the maybe the negative surprises, but there's been some positives. I mean, look, Winnipeg's off to a very good start. Hey, the Colorado Avalanche. Everyone was talking about the distraction of. Um, the Matt Duchesne situation yeah. in the off season, but it, at least to this point, you know they're one of the top three in the in the Central Division, and um, they look to be off to a really good start. The Flyers, as we head back, uh, you know we head back east, off to a very good start, and they've had some injuries along the way, but they continue to still put points on the board. Um, you know, touch on Toronto a little bit. Um, I saw this special. I think I, we talked about it a little bit earlier on. I was watching Hockey Night in Canada, and look, I know this show sometimes is an Austin Matthews love fest because both Ernie and I think the world of him. But um, you know, here's here's a kid, 20 years old. He's got uh, you know he's in one of the great cities in the NHL, and he's the superstar up there. And you find out that he spends a lot of his free time just work, you know, going to see kids at uh, at hospitals. And I mean, not just kind of the drive by, but getting in there. They showed a picture yeah. of him with the uh, you know putting the, the the gown on and having the gloves on, and really. Uh, uh, spending time with kids in need and it just goes to spell, show you as great as he is on the ice he's even better off the ice yeah it's such a great a great uh even though he's, he just turned 20 years old he's still a kid he's just a great person and uh he's got a level head he's not uh you know the typical superstar where he's uh, cocky or conceited he's just a down-to-earth normal normal kid likes loves to play hockey and he's He's damn good at it too, and and you, you saw uh, him doing the charity work and, and stuff that he likes to do. He likes to make a difference, so uh, it's great for him. And love uh, love watching him play every night that the Leafs play. No, I, and I know you're good friends and played for John Cooper. Uh, boy, his Lightning's and uh, off to a great start. And Kuznetsov looks like he is, uh, um, you know, off to a you know a great start. Oh, Stamkos and Kucherov are Kucherov, just yeah. yeah, Kucherov are just uh, unbelievable. And if you were to look back and see Steven Stamkos. Uh, you know he's a 50 60 goal scorer he's i think he's got four or five goals right now he's pacing the way with assists playing with Kucherov Kucherov is just on fire um and, and they're uh they're, they're lighting it up so i'm sure Coop is uh is thrilled right now up in Tampa they lost a tough one the other night but uh you know they're they're going on all cylinders and you have to think you know we talked about it in the uh preseason that, that Tampa was going to be one of those teams that was going to make a run for the cup and uh, they're showing it right now with uh, with their top guys performing. No, and in, in goal, there you know Ben Bishop is uh, you know went out to you know to Dallas, yeah. but they have not missed a, a step with uh, Andre Vasilevsky. No, he is playing unbelievable too, and and then you could see why they weren't concerned about uh, having Bishop leave because of Vasilevsky and what he's done and some of the saves that he's made this year to uh, to for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So. You got to keep him healthy, and we're going to go back to goaltending, and we'll talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. And uh, 
Crosby not as hot as he is. He's still getting his points, but some of the losses that the Penguins have had, and, and you got to kind of look to goaltending, you know, a couple 9-1, 10-1 losses. They, lost, they get smoked in Tampa. They got smoked in Chicago. Um, and, and you got to look back. Marc-Andre Fleury no longer there. Uh, Murray's there, and who's the backup? So it's, uh, you know, it's funny. You need goaltending, and right now uh, Pitt, the Pittsburgh Penguins aren't getting it, and they're getting some they're getting losses, some big-time losses. No, you realize just how competitive the National Hockey League is. And, you know, talking about tonight with the Islanders, uh, I, I think I would have looked at that in the calendar three weeks ago and said put those two points yeah. in the bag. And now this becomes a huge <laughs> game for them. So I, I, I agree. Certainly, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of pressure. I think we talked about it, uh, you know, in our season premiere episode that, hey, for the Penguins, they've won two Stanley Cups. They've had two very short off-seasons uh, compared to they played a lot more games than anyone else yeah. has, so that takes its wear and tear. And I, you know, I, I think back to when the Islanders won their fourth cup, and they had a very mediocre season that year. There was, you know, it, it kind of does catch up with you. So you got to think if you're, you're you're Mike Sullivan at this point, you're Sidney Crosby, you're uh, Evgeny Malkin, you realize, hey, I, it doesn't matter as much as you, in October as you think it is. Can they turn it on when it comes to April? Yeah, and it wasn't until uh, Sullivan was brought in two years ago. They were they were out of the playoffs, and uh, Coach Sullivan gets hired, and he turns the whole team around. But right now, they're they're struggling a little bit to uh, to get some offense or get some wins, and uh, I'm sure that they're going to turn this around. But it's just uh, it's baffling sometimes to watch some of these games losing nine to one, ten to one, and um, and you have all these superstars on your team, but you look to goaltending, and you're not getting the goaltending. That's going to happen. No, and definitely, you know, goal scoring's up. You're seeing a lot of these more high-scoring games. I was at the Panther game on Thursday night, and, uh, you know, there was 12 goals scored between the yeah. two teams. It was uh, – I, I thought I was watching the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets. You know, <laughs> where, where where was Dale Howardchuk out yeah. there? Jeez. Well, I mean, that's what the fans want. They want more scoring. They want more offense, and, and they're getting it right now. So uh, I know coaches uh, coaches don't like the big offense. They like a little tight defensive game and – but uh, this is what the NHL wanted to do. They opened it up, and we're seeing a lot of goals being scored. And it's and it's great for the game. It's great for the fans to see these uh, goals being scored. But like I said, some of these teams right now, uh, goaltending is an issue, and they got to figure a way to get it figured out. No, I'm sure they will. And, hey, everybody likes offense. Baseball certainly saw a lot of it last night. Oh, if, yeah. if you like five-and-a-half-hour games, I uh, even I couldn't stay up for that yeah. last night. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's certainly exciting. And I, I think, uh, you know, for the fans, you're seeing teams, at the, you know, at, particularly at the top level, you got to be able to keep the puck out of the net, but because the puck certainly is going in, uh, you know, so far uh, through the first, uh, you know, 10, 11 games of the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to watch now that you're not playing and you don't have to worry about the coaches getting upset at you. So it's fun to sit back and watch these games and it's entertaining. But uh, like I said before, these coaches, uh, they're probably biting their teeth going, what's going on here? So. I do miss the look on your face after a tough loss when you got uh, came out of the locker room after the game. I'd be waiting for you, and uh, wasn't always uh, wasn't always fun to be a professional athlete, as no. I saw firsthand. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's it's coming. Uh, especially it's after that game, coaches come in and say, but it's not the it's not that night. It's the next day coming into practice. The mood is just down. So that's about staying high, getting too low. It's staying that even keel and being consistent. That's absolutely. It. All right, Ernst. So now our next guest is the. Uh, the managing uh, editor-in-chief for the Atlantic Detroit. Um, he was also the beat writer for the Atlanta Thrashers and uh, the and also on ESPN Radio. Craig Custis is going to join us and talk about his book, Behind the Bench, The Inside the Minds of Hockey's Greatest Coaches by Triumph Books. Craig, welcome to the show. 
Well, thanks for having me, guys. My pleasure. No, it was uh, what a great read this was. It was uh, really interesting for what you're, you know, to take some of the top coaches, guys that have won the gold medals, guys who have won the Stanley Cup, and really give a different perspective on what it took for them to get there, what some of their thought process was, and quite honestly, how fragile, um, you know, these situations are between winning and losing. Yeah, it's funny, like, how often that came up with these coaches. And for your listeners who aren't familiar with the book, what I did was I sat down with 10 NHL coaches and watched kind of their crowning achievement, whether it was a Stanley Cup winning game or a gold medal winning game. And, and we, you know, it, it, my initial thought was it'll be kind of a film breakdown. And we'll get into some X's and O's. And what ended up happening was it, it was a lot of reflection on their careers and how they got into that moments and a lot of leadership philosophy. And, and to your point, like one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was how tenuously close they were to not having achieved what they achieved just because of the nature of hockey, how if a puck hits a crossbar and, you know, goes in or doesn't go in, that can sometimes determine a Stanley Cup. So it was a, it was a pretty neat process. Now, you mentioned that, you know, Ken Hitchcock, and, and you mentioned in the book, James Patrick hits the post in that uh, overtime game against the, the Stars, the Brett Hull game. And, yeah. Um, he felt that um, had that puck gone in, they were so beaten up that, they might not have won game seven. And here's a situation where a guy's had a career in the league for 20 plus years because of a Stanley cup ring that if that didn't happen, who knows what the legend of uh, Ken Hitchcock might've been. Oh, who knows? Right. And, and I mean, he was 100% convinced. He said, you know, like Brett Hall, there was multiple times in that game where they doctors said, you know, he can't go another shift. Uh, he, he thought if it had gone to game seven, they were going to have to, you know, all of their black aces were going to have to play. It was going to be essentially like a half of an AHL lineup and and really felt like Buffalo was surging as that series went on. And, and like you mentioned, there's a there's a crossbar hit. And it wasn't just that game. I mean, Dan Biles, when we sat down and watched the 2009 Game 7, uh, Penguins, Red Wings at Joe Louis Arena. And there's a point, I want to stay with a minute and a half, where there's a shot from the point, it was Nicholas Cronwell, but I've, I've now long forgotten. And same thing, it's the crossbar, and I'm sitting with Dan Bilesma in his living room, and Dan just gives out this low whistle, like, oh, man. And and that's, you know, maybe maybe the Red Wings score in overtime, and maybe Sidney Crosby's, the narrative around him is different, and Dan Bilesma, and, and everyone, even like a guy like Joel Quenville, like, I, I covered that series, we, we watched the Flyers play the Blackhawks game six in Philadelphia when the Blackhawks won, and I remember that series being kind of all Blackhawks, my memory of it, now maybe is different than what reality was. And there was a shot late in that game where Jeff Carter really should have scored for the Flyers. And we didn't realize it, but Jonathan Taves was banged up and maybe he wasn't going to go game seven. So, you know, there's all these different what ifs that were really down to a puck going one inch one way or the other. No, it is amazing how, you know, millions of dollars and careers are on, uh, uh, on the line and it's a game of inches you know I I think back you know I know you talked about Mike Sullivan and his situation I was in Tampa for that game six two years ago and there was that offside challenge that went uh, I think Jonathan Drewen had scored the goal and it looked like the Lightning were going to win game six and win the series and go on to the Stanley Cup finals and that coach's challenge goes against them I always think at that moment had that gone differently you know, maybe you're maybe you've got uh, you know John Cooper in your book instead of having uh, having uh, Mike <laughs> Sullivan. So it really is. It's just it's such a small margin between winning and losing. And I thought you brought that to life so well in the book. 
it, it's it's crazy. And there's a million of them. Like Joel again. Remember that first round series against Nashville when when it looks like I forgot what game it was, but it looked like the Predators were going to win. And then there's that shorthanded goal and and kind of a, a fictitious call. If you ask Barry Trotz now, like a call he's still mad about. And it, there's a million of those. And and that really was the you know the this this one of the strings that kind of held the chapters together was you know just how close success and or maybe a lack of success is. In the, in the hockey world. Like, that's the one thing we never really talk about is how much luck plays a part in a Stanley Cup win, probably more than we ever want to admit. No, I think for all the... You, you talked about the the preparation time and all the work that goes into it, but it is sometimes just the bounce of a puck or a little bit of luck that uh, is the difference between winning and losing. And uh, I think that's kind of hard for a lot of the fans and certainly uh, probably a lot of general managers and owners to get their head around, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. And, you know, you sit there and want to go, oh, yeah, our team up late. Or, like, Claude Julien was another one that I did. And, and there was a, you know, we, we went over that great Vancouver-Boston series, and it was Game 7 in Vancouver that we watched. But, you know, Claude, he brought it up. They beat Montreal uh, in Round 1 that year and, and you know, took an overtime to do it. And he felt like had he not beat Montreal, he was going to get fired. I mean, he knew it. Like, we, I remember people were open, you know, openly speculating if Claude Julien doesn't, you know, have success he was gone and instead they go on they beat they beat vancouver in seven games and and now his reputation has changed forever and not only that on the flip side you know the canucks i think people have now forgotten just how good a canucks team that was like that was the sedines at their best and ryan kessler was you know 40 goal scorer and that was a team that basically had their way with the nhl that season and because, you know, Roberto Luongo couldn't stop a puck in Boston and maybe Corey Schneider should have gotten, you know, whatever revisionist history we want to say, but, you know, the reputations of Elaine Vigneault are completely different and Mike Gillis and, and the players on that team. No, we were just talking a little earlier about Elaine Vigneault's tenure in New York and uh, Ern and I were speculating he may be the first coach to go this season the way the Rangers start to the season is. Yeah, that would be interesting. It's, you know, there there's a lot of kind of... Um, different starts around the league in terms of coaches and the Rangers are a funny team though, because I, I don't know what realistic expectations were for a team that is clearly, you know, they, I think you could, it's safe to say they've taken their foot off the pedal. They're not trading first round picks like they used to. They're, they're you know, they trade uh, Derek step on the off season. Henrik Lundqvist is older. So I, you know, I don't know what realistic expectations were for New York, but yeah, you're right. It's, you know, it's, they're, they're now an area to watch. No. And Craig, you know, it's funny when I picked up the book, I, you know, I downloaded it off of Amazon and started reading it. And, you know, hockey isn't always whatever, everything you read. So I, I was kind of just looking forward to what I thought was just going to be a simple hockey book. But I, you, you mentioned the leadership aspect to it. And as I found myself going into the chapter and particularly chapter three with Mike Babcock, I, I, I think he could teach an MBA course on leadership. And <laughs> you did such a good job of bringing that to life. I mean, there was just so many, I was highlighting in my Kindle and trying to use things for our corporate job that we have outside of our podcast. And uh, just tell us a little bit about the experience of things that you learned from Mike. Yeah. I Like I've had since, since the book has come out, I've had people say, boy, you know, the Mike Babcock chapter alone you know, you could cut that out and have a, a good leadership book or a pamphlet or whatever you want to call it, because he's so he's so passionate about that. And what I really admired about Mike in, in that chapter was how he he deeply examines the world outside of hockey to try to then import ideas and, you know, to the Toronto Maple Leafs or, or, you know, before that, the Detroit Red Wings. 
he's not just going to kind of the same coaching conventions all the other coaches are going where you're swapping penalty kill ideas. He's he's meeting with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies or Silicon Valley companies and really trying, you know, and it was, I think it was probably the first time I'd heard the idea of, or the phrase change agents. And, and that that came from a, a friend of his that's in uh, San Jose. And really, you know, challenging yourself so that so that you're bringing new ideas to the table um, that you maybe can't get elsewhere. And, and Mike was really, art, you know, he articulates that well. And we just kind of went down that rabbit hole of, of how, you know, how you improve as a person, how, how you improve as a, a you know, worker for your company. And, if, you know, that wasn't necessarily the intention when I set out to write that chapter, but that's, that's where Mike took it. And, and I'm glad he did. You know, it's interesting. You use the words from Mike Babcock being transparent, transparent and authentic. And, you know, he's obviously there's a tremendous amount of pressure to win the Stanley Cup and finally end that, you know, now 50 year drought in Toronto. But, um, you know, having young players like Austin Matthews and having William Nylander, do you think that that type of philosophy works well with these young players or, you know, it's a little bit different than maybe some of the old school coaching that you might have seen? Yeah, I think I think so. I think what what Mike is he's he's really good at explaining, and I think Todd McClellan was another coach that got into this into the why and why you have to do things the way you have to do it. I think the young player needs to hear that. Um, so you know, but what I think what I appreciate about Mike Babcock, you talk about authenticity. You know, he he's a guy that that isn't asking these guys to work hard. Um, you know, and then not working hard himself. Like he, he's a guy that doesn't want anybody to beat him to the rink in the morning on the day that we're, you know, I'm sitting down to do this book in, in the middle of July. It's a gorgeous Michigan day at his summer house. He's on a lake. He, you know, he could have been sipping beers and going to his boat. And instead he's, he's watching this game film. We're watching the Olympics and he's taking notes the whole time. He's looking for some sort of, um, some sort of advantage he can then take from this, this few hours for this book that he can then take to team Canada for the world cup that he was coaching in later that month. I mean, he's basically relentless in his pursuit of improvement. And I think if you're a player playing in Toronto, I realize he's not easy to play for. He's really hard to please as we're seeing right now, uh, very publicly. But I think as a player, you, you have to appreciate that he's, he's trying to maximize everything. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, hopefully the success will come with that. I, I thought it was interesting in the book how, you know, I think everyone has an idea for a book. And, and you, you actually talked about in the Mike Babcock uh, chapter about how we told you to come back when you have some things a little bit more granular as far and formal as far as a, um, you know, a project idea. But I thought yeah. it was cool how you shared. Everyone's got the idea. I want to write a book. But you really shared what the work that goes into it. You traveled all over the country. I felt bad for your family with the Winnebago story that you're out there driving. <laughs> I felt like I was there oh with you. Goodness. And uh, um, it's just amazing what goes into it. You know, having the recorder, uh, you lose the recorder in yeah, the rink yeah. right beforehand. <laughs> There's so much of that that everyone goes through in their everyday life that I thought it was really cool how you brought that into the book. It's funny. I had another writer message me this morning who had finished the book, and they said, "Boy, I was like, I was sweating relating to all these horror stories as a writer that I was dealing with along the way." And the reason I did that, you know, it ended up being a very personal book, and not not kind of intentionally. Like I, I wanted it to be about the coaches. I never, I didn't want it to make it about me. But what I I did want to do was link the chapters together somehow. Like I didn't really, I didn't want people to say, "Oh, I'm a Maple Leafs fan. I'm just going to read the Mike Babcock chapter." 
and that's it. And I, I thought by kind of making it personal and, and explaining to the reader early on, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to meet these 10 coaches in a very short window of time. This is, the degree of difficulty is really high. It's going to be hard on my family, and I'm just I'm going to take you along with me. And that was I thought that would kind of tie all the chapters together. I mean, that was that was at least the thought process there. No, I thought it came across really well. And, you know, you realize that with the sacrifice and that was another thing I thought came out from the book. And Ernie, I know you know John Cooper really well and you you played for him, uh, you know, uh, a couple of times. And what Coop went through to, you know, get to the point we went to Hofstra together. And that's not exactly a hockey hockey hotbed. uh, But, um, you know, you you see all of these guys had opportunities outside of hockey to make substantially more money. They really put um, their family and their livelihoods on the line and. You know, I just thought it was great how you, you know, fans often think of, hey, fire a guy, you know, hire a guy. But here's a situation where these guys, I thought you really articulated it well, how much these guys sacrificed to get just to the uh, to the National Hockey League level. And, you know, in, in the example of, you know, Mike Sullivan, there's a guy who got fired and took him almost 10 years to get another NHL coaching uh, coaching gig. Yeah, that's it, that was kind of another theme that, that, that surfaced as I went along here, again, unintentionally, but what I started to notice with these guys that, that had really had these high achievement moments was it also came with huge sacrifice and also taking huge risks. And, and it, it was really, it was, it was interesting for me to see that because by nature, I'm pretty conservative. I don't take a lot of risks. I kind of, you know, I, I went to college, took the first job I was offered and, and just tried to plow through a career path uh, that was as linear as possible with as you know least amount of pain as possible to me. And, and I, I admired that these guys at different points were like, yeah, I could have, you know, John Cooper's a great example. I could have a, a life as a lawyer that would be comfortable and uh, probably provide for my family, but this is my passion. And I think when, when our passions kind of align with, with what we're pursuing, that's when we have these huge successes. And John Cooper, it, he was a guy that I really tried to get in here and, and it just didn't work out because there wasn't, you know, these ended up all being Stanley Cup winning games or gold medal games. And there just wasn't the kind of the natural moment to, to, um, to, to watch with John Cooper or else I think he would be in there. But, um, yeah, he's a great, another great example of that. No, and uh, you, you, the chapter on Joel Quenville and obviously his success, but I think one of Ernie's favorite moments with jo- Joel Quenville was, you know, Ernie was in the American Hockey League when the St. Louis organization, what was this, 2005, 2006? No, 2003. 2003, 2003, and you're tearing it up in the American League. You got the brass down there. You got, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Joel, you know, in the stands in St. Louis, and you tear it up. You have a couple of goals, and they call you in the locker room, and uh, or in the in the office, and yeah. uh, you thought this was the call. Yeah, yeah. A funny story. It was yeah, back in two thousand three, and we were playing. It was uh, in St. Louis. I think it was against Utah in the American League, and it was probably three weeks into the season, and uh, scored a goal. I think I had a couple goals in the getting dressed in the uh, the Blues locker room, and uh, the equipment manager can't remember his name now says, "Hey, get undressed. Coach Quenville wants to see you." So I hurry up, get undressed, take a shower. Walk into the office, there's uh, Mike Kitchen, Joel Quenville, and Larry Plo. They say, have a seat, Ern. So I sit down thinking, hey, I'm going to get a call up here. And yeah. uh, he says to me, he says, Ern, you know we play pro hockey, right? I said, uh, yeah, yeah, coach. I know we play pro hockey. He's like, well, maybe you can let your mother know that, that she can't come down the elevator and come see you in the locker room like peewee hockey. Can you let her know for that? Uh, let her know that for us? And I, uh, yeah, sorry, coach. She says, uh, yeah, you have a good good job out there. I'll see you later. 
I got up and walked out. I'm like, oh my god, what an embarrassing moment! <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, That's it, a was swing right there. it wasn't funny at the time, but now I look back yeah. at it, uh, 18 or I don't know how many damn years later it was, but it's it's a funny story and uh, I like to tell it. But that was my Joe Quenville, Mike Kitchen, Larry Plow story. So well, that kind of goes with the theme oh of how goodness. close it comes to you know <laughs> getting the call up or not calling the call up. <laughs> Hey Craig, I, I appreciate the time. I, I wanted to ask you. I, I'll kind of put you on the spot here. If you know, yeah. obviously, getting to interview all these guys, think about yourself as a general manager. If you had a team that we, I, I ask you in two different ways: team that was okay. ready to win the Stanley Cup, and this was the team. They're you know they have the veterans. They're set to win. Who would you pick as the coach for that? And if you were in a rebuilding phase and said, "Hey, look, you're going to be in a situation where the next three years we're going to build some top prospects. We need a coach to win the Stanley Cup, you know, and develop a program." Who would be your yeah. pick? Oof. All right. So, like, in my opinion, right now, there's there's and and these and, uh, with the caveat, like, I think everyone in this book, you know, I I think they're all great coaches, and I think. I think everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, but I, I right now Joel Quenville, Mike Babcock, and I, I put Mike Sullivan in that conversation now too, are, are to me the three of the best. So I, you know, I, I still uh, I think Mike Babcock right now is is the best coach in the game, and if I'm trying to win a Stanley Cup this year with my you know decked out roster, I think uh, I, I'd be pretty comfortable with him behind the bench there. And then if I'm trying to win four years from now. With a young group, that's. I think it's a. It's an interesting question, and maybe it's different. And I would probably want to have a younger guy that speaks their language. I probably. You talk about John Cooper. I might go that direction, and just you know what I like about John is he he has a little bit of that swagger to him, right? I mean, Ernie, you know, oh right? yeah, you, you just he's yeah, like the, just he's a beauty, and just the way he carries himself. Uh, I think he, I think it translates well with the younger players. He doesn't let them get away with anything, but I, I you know I think. I think you could have him around for three or four years. I, I, I look at what he did with kind of that young core in the AHL with the Palats and the Tyler Johnsons and the Kucherov and the way he formed them into whatever they call it, the Wolf Pack or whatever it is. And, and I just think if I'm trying to do that with my young team, that would probably be the guy I would have behind the bench here. Well, it's, uh, I agree with you on that one 100%. Uh, Coop is a great coach, and uh, I agree with you. Here, I'm going to ask you one question uh, before we let you go here. Uh, looking at all the teams right now, who is your pick to win the Stanley Cup this year? I know it's early in the season, but if you're looking at the schedule right now and you're looking at the teams, who's your team right now? You think? I know I was a Red Wing fan growing up, but who do you think? Yeah, I you know my preseason pick for the Athletic was uh, Tampa Bay, and they've done nothing so far this year to dissuade me to to change my pick. Yeah, I. There's a lot of reasons. One, you know, this is a team that certainly, you know, had the charge down the stretch last year. But you, when you have a long summer, I think you come back pretty motivated when you're a team with Stanley Cup aspirations and you've had all summer to think about where it went sideways. Um, you know, they're healthy now. When I watch that power play and I see, you know, Victor Hedman up top and you have uh, along the wall, Steven Stamkos on one side and Kucherov on the other side feeding passes to one another. If you're trying to stop that, I'm not sure which guy you're shading towards, and and really there's no right answer there. Um, and then Vasilevsky's the real deal on goal to me. Like really, they've got it all as long as they can stay healthy. I I really think they've become the team to beat. I agree with you. I agree with you. No, I guess I'll ask one other question. You know, on the I'm a big Islander fan, and uh, obviously the, uh, the the thought you know it's been a better start to the season. The NHL's number one star of the week was John Tavares. 
most people around the Islander organization think that he's coming back, the fans, the media. You're kind of a little bit of an outside perspective. What's your thought? Does John re-sign with the New York Islanders, or does he pursue better uh, excellence elsewhere? Yeah, you know, that's a a situation that I haven't dove into in a while um, in terms of talking to people around him. You know, what what kind of the sense I've gotten in the past, it, it really... It really depended on how convinced he was that that team could win a Stanley Cup. I think the arena deal and, and where they were going to be playing down the road was a big factor there too. Um, ultimately, he, you know, he strikes me as a guy that seems very loyal to the Islanders, um, but at the same time, you know, I've you've seen this play out so many times before. When it gets closer and closer to free agency, and there's not a deal done, if you're John Tavares. Uh, you know why aren't maybe you're maybe you're looking to see what else is out there you know what i mean yeah so to me it's if you're an islanders fan i'm I'm definitely nervous that this is still a thing and and we're now into november no i would have thought by this time it would have uh it would have been uh set aside but hey craig thanks very much for taking the time we really do appreciate it, it was some great stories here and for our listeners I, I can't recommend it enough Behind the Bench, Inside the Minds of uh, Hockey's Greatest Coaches by Triumph Books. Get it on Amazon, Book, uh, you know, uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever your favorite books are sold. But this is definitely a keeper and well worth the read. So, Craig, thank you so much, and congratulations on a great piece of work. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. All, All right. right. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye now. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, Aaron, that was pretty awesome, huh? That was amazing. It was uh, a great uh, great guy to come on and uh, share his insight with us, and uh, it was enjoyable to listen to him talk. No, I mean, they, they do a great job at The Atlantic, and he's a talented writer, and I, like I said, I can't recommend the book enough. It was really such a great read, and I, I picked it up as more of a hockey book, but then it re- really became a lesson in leadership, just a kind of behind the scenes, and I think it gives the fans a different perspective. I know most fans overreact. They want things done a certain way and they want to, you know, they can change course and direction. We had somebody on social media telling us that they should uh, trade Deion Tavares for a third line uh, center and a, a sixth defenseman. And uh, here you are, you realize that you're talking about human beings' lives and uh, livelihoods. And uh, I thought he really brought that to life really well. No, and I think that the fans enjoy the behind the scenes and what goes on. I know everybody comes to the games and they watch it on TV and they see what goes on. But to get that insight from him on those coaches, you know, talk about Mike Babcock and, and all the other coaches – I just think it's a it's a great book, and I think uh, very entertaining and to to read and, and to get the behind the scenes. So it's uh, very thankful that he came on and shared his knowledge with us today. Oh, awesome! Well, hey guys, thanks very much for for joining the show today. Please continue to give us your ratings and what your feedback is on iTunes and Stitcher and uh, SoundCloud and all the other stuff that we have out there. I don't even know where it's on at this point, but uh, it, it means a lot to us. We enjoy bringing these shows to you and uh, we really do appreciate the feedback. And I know we'll have, uh, we're looking to have some other player guests on uh, in the coming weeks. So really do appreciate it. Thanks very much. And we look forward to bringing episode 11 next week. Bye now.